Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. You know, Wobbles, I'm kind of mad at you. And as a reasonable man, I'm willing to do whatever's necessary to find a peaceful solution to this problem. Well, welcome to episode one of um, the Punching Up Movie Podcast. Uh, in an oversaturated market of movie podcasts, no one's asking for another one, but we thought in our hubris we would just offer up uh, this idea. And the, and the concept behind... Well, first let me introduce myself. My name's Adam Nightingale, and... I'm Damien Asher. The whole the whole idea of this, this podcast is that uh, we're movie lovers, but everyone has a movie that is in the canon, that is like a music... A movie that's a kind of unacknowledged... Well, an unacknowledged classic. Um... Or a beloved cult classic, or just simply incredibly popular that everyone has an issue with. You know, so I love movies, but there are certain movies that are esteemed classics that I don't like or have issues with it that take me out of the film. And and Damien, I'm imagining that's the same for you. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so what we get what we're gonna do each episode, we're gonna take a movie and, and one of us is gonna be a little bit more adversarial. In this instance, I'm 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 going to have a pop at uh, an acknowledged classic, and Damien will defend it. That's not always going to be the case. Sometimes we'll be united in our dislike of a movie, and sometimes one of us will just play devil's advocate. Um, so, the first movie we thought we go we go big. We tackle a, 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 an authentic titan, uh, and um, yes, <laughs> the, uh, the, the the clues in the background, um, and you, you probably know like if you if you if you've sort of uh, tuned into this podcast anyway that we're going to tackle two thousand and one, a space odyssey N- number six on both the AFI and the BFI best films of all time, and uh, Damien, I think it's fair to say that you are a, an enormous fan of this film. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, seeing it, I've seen it countless times, but I think seeing it even this time, it may be like my favourite film of all time. It may be oh, my I number one film. I didn't know that. I didn't know, you, I genuinely didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know yeah, you know what, it's just film. kind of cropped up. And I think the older that I've got, the more that I've yeah. appreciated it over the years. Yeah. And now I'm just looking at it going, it is a perfect film. Like, it's not a yeah. film that you can watch every day, over and over again it's not like a good fellas you stick it on and you just carry on watching but i think that once you get into that mode yeah for me i think it might be number one yeah it's not my number one um i I will qualify (laughs) my my issues with the film yeah Um, but before we do i i hate movie podcasts where they assume knowledge of the film i don't hate it but i get frustrated where people assume knowledge of the film so damien i'm springing this on you this wasn't covered in our introductory notes could you okay. just briefly summar- summarise the plot? We'll talk about the sort of background, how the film came to be in a little bit. But could you summarise the plot of, of 2001 A Space Odyssey for me, please? Yeah. There's a film in four chapters um, that charts the evolution of man from ape to uber being and goes on a sort of space journey that has possibly one of the greatest villains in movie history mm-hmm. that is a computer, yeah. HAL 9000. And yeah, it's a meditative 
journey through humanity's evolution. Brilliant. Well put. And so we will um, we'll just do our best between us to just talk about the, the sort of uh, the circumstances in which the film came to be made um, and, and how it achieved classic status and its, its sort of its impact on the culture now in about five minutes. It might, yeah. might take a little bit longer than that because it, it, I have to say that it, it was made. It was it was released in 1968. Uh, it, there was a long gestation period, and and it's the film. It's fair to say that I, I think it's fair to say that absolutely established the director Stanley Kubrick's reputation as a kind of unique visionary in cinema. But he was on his way there already, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, because he, yeah, because he'd he'd, uh, he'd he'd had this string of incredible incredible films um, starting with what, what what was you know the, the I suppose the first film that made any kind of real impact I guess was The Killing I know he'd made some films before then yeah uh, remind me yeah. what they are do you remember what, what Fear what, what and was... Desire and yeah. The Killer's Kiss or Killer's Kiss and, and he did he did he did a he did a very good short uh, about a boxer as well yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah that came off uh, the back then... of some of his photography that he'd done with yeah. Look Magazine but yeah and uh and but but it was a sort of run of films. Uh, I, I probably got I might got got the order slightly wrong. But Spartacus, which which he, he was a gun for hire on Spartacus, wasn't he? He, he sort yeah. of was brought in by Stanley Kubrick. But then it was um, Lolita, uh, Paths of Glory, and Doctor Strangelove. And Doctor Strangelove really really starts to establish his rep reputation as a kind of visionary author. Um, some of the elements that he's going to really refine in in two thousand and one, like. The incredible use of sort of pre-established music, like the wheel meet again sequences, the nuclear bombs are falling, and, and this establishes him commercially, critically, um, and he's pretty much off the back of the success of Doctor Strangelove, given carte blanche to create what he wants, and and in and in the research I did, that people people seem to to agree that the level of freedom he was given to develop his next project before or since has been unprecedented. So MGM more or less, he wanted to make a science fiction film. It's very vague, wasn't it? As to what the concept was gonna be. He just wanted to explore, um, he just wanted to explore the concept of, of awe and wonder in the universe. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think he was, um, I'd heard a little interview with him that he was talking about the idea that, that we're not alone and yeah. um, that, that that really fascinated him. Uh, hence his um, uh, uh, getting in touch with Arthur C. Clarke um, mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing if they could come up with something that was interesting for his next yeah. project after the massive success of Dr. Strangelove, but also, because yeah. I think, was it Lolita came before? Yeah, uh, so, so it basically went, The Killing, Paths of Glory, Spartacus, Lolita, Strangelove 2001. And so Lolita and Spartacus... And Strange Love were all massive hits. I think Paths of Glory did pretty well, but um, <coughs> got, got but banned yeah. in France. Not in France. You got banned in France, didn't it? Uh, which one? Paths of Glory. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so as as you said, coming off the back of uh, particularly Doctor Strange Love was given carte blanche in a way that you know this is before Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, mm. and all the the seventies yeah. auteurs. You know, um, he was in a sense. I mean, who else was that? Who else was allowed to to have that? I mean, I think they he started working on it in 1964. Yeah, they started filming in start of 65. 65 yeah, 65. Yeah, 65. Yeah, there was an, an awful, awful lot. Of, yeah, awful lot of pre-production. Yeah, two or three years, you know. Yeah. And he would have gone on had he not 
just totally run out of money and um, and being yeah. really pressurized by it. They, they said that he would have done another year of it. Yeah. So 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 what 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 he's doing in the, in the, in this? He's he's um he's got it's got very very involved production process. He decides to shoot the majority of it in London, um, so that he can ex exert more control and and sort of sort of run interference on any studio interference. He's doing things like um, he's he's doing something like um, he's, he's he's consulting with um, people people involved in the space program. I think I'm right, yeah. you know, to to construct these these spaceships, the like of which haven't been seen on a movie before. He's um, he's got over a hundred model makers. He's shuts down production for a year, doesn't he, um, to figure out how to shoot the the Dawn of Man sequence, which is which is the sequence at the beginning of the film involving sort of primitive man's encounter with this uh, strange alien monolith and, and how mm. that influences the evolution of the human. So, so they, they shoot still photography in Namibia and then invent, completely invent a Ford projection system yeah. to, to project this background in a studio to shoot the Dawn of Man sequence. And then he hasn't got an ending for the film. As he's, so they're kind of writing as they're going on, aren't they? And, and, and they don't quite know how to end the film. They don't know whether to use uh, represent aliens, you know, and so they so almost, almost at the last hour. I'm not sure how this works chronologically because it doesn't quite fit the chronology because they filmed the moon sequences first. They must have had the idea of the monolith established, yeah. but they might have wanted to use aliens. I don't quite understand. I don't quite understand the sort of chronology of his thought process on aliens, but basically until the 11th hour, they haven't really got an ending conceptually for the movie. And then they get involved in a psychedelic, ex well, they don't get involved in a psychedelic experiment because, um, Stanley Kubrick's very teetotal and very straight living, but they 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 sort of draw heavily on a University of Boston um, thesis or, or, or academic paper, where a bunch of theology students dropped acid or some kind of variation of acid, some hallucinogenic, went mm. to went to I think is a Catholic service and then just reported what what visions unfolded, and that becomes visually the basis of the famous stargate sequence at the end which is this this kind of incredible did i say incredible i'm going to slag the film off so i'm not going to use the word <laughs> this this this, this, this yeah this challenging um, <laughs> but admittedly visionary special effects sequence which no one to this day can quite decipher the meaning of and he's and then and then he's inventing technology for that and the other thing that he does is he hires alex north who he's worked with on spartacus to compose 40 minutes of music tells him i might not even use this music because as i'm editing the film i'm using all these temp tracks of classical music and then he sacks alec north and alec north well he didn't even point. sack him apparently oh, right, he, yeah. he um so he yeah. he uh, they um he composed and recorded the music yeah. Um, Kubrick was had given him two weeks to do it. He'd given him yeah. one year to do Spartacus, but because yeah. Kubrick didn't want, um, he, he wanted the temp tracks. He wanted the classical music, yeah. but MGM didn't want that. They wanted a score. Every, every oh, big wow, score yeah. back then. So he gets in touch with Alex North and gives him two weeks to try and do something as good as or better than um, Strauss's Blue Danube and. <laughs> which is what Kubrick does to people you know and, and, and Alex Moore did that on purpose in order to um it was never going to happen so the studios ultimately because the the release date was getting closer and closer the studios would have then had to have agreed yeah. on the 
um, the classical music. Sorry, but, but, it, but no, 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 no. That was great. It, no, but it destroys Alex North's health because for some yeah. reason, like the intensity of composing puts his back out. He has chronic back problems, yeah. and then he's, he's literally yeah, it's taken to recording sessions in an ambulance, and yeah. then none of his yeah. none of his music, and then and then he somehow kind of forgives Kubrick when he sees the finished result. You know, he doesn't seem to hold a lot of animosity about it. So um, apparently when they were doing the recording, uh, Kubrick was very um, enthusiastic about his work. Yeah. Um, but then apparently behind the set, he was like, no, it's a piece of shit. I don't want it. It's rubbish um, to, to his sort of inner circle. Um, but I think that was more so for the fact that it just didn't hold up to the, the yeah. waltz and the, you know, yeah. the, the tone of yeah. But also he gave Alex North the rights back to the soundtrack yeah. um, for him to use on whatever. And he used it on um, his his son. Sorry, I've got it written down here. His son, Stephen North, um, uh, produced this film called Shanks by William Castle, which was about yeah. um, Marcel Marceau, a mime murder film, some weird 1975 film. Yeah. But he used a piece of that music and it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Score. Oh, wow. Oh, good. So, yeah. yeah. And he got so paid, sense. most importantly. Yeah, and he got yeah, paid he, for he, the he got paid. Yeah, so there's there's millions and millions of stories like that. He nearly nearly broke Arthur C. Clarke, who we didn't mention, you know, is, you know, at that point, probably like the most respected and best-selling British science fiction author. Um, uh, and, then, and then the film, the film sort of gets its preview to MGM executives who a ton of them walk out um, and, and 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 people are just baffled by it. it, it they, they are, they, they don't quite know what to make of it. I think Arthur C. Clarke starts crying. Um, <laughs> he, and uh, and uh, Kubrick, even Kubrick's like confidence is shaken. Um, and then they, 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 it, it, I think it, it does quite well in advanced sales. I think, I think what the moment it starts to hit hit the streets, it becomes um, a, a beneficiary of the zeitgeist. I would imagine, actually, accidentally, I can't imagine any of this, in the, in the way that Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, obviously, the book got a boost by hippies, to the point where, you know, I mean, Tolkien didn't understand hippies, didn't particularly like them, mm. didn't understand, you know, but, but it was one of these things where, where the very, very straight-living, reclusive Stanley Kubrick's the movie got an amazing boost um, by the fact that, you know, it, it it was the height of the 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 sort of swinging sixties summer of love, and people came to watch it stoned. People dropped acid. It got endorsements by John Lennon and David Bowie, and it become became this like to the point where once it it started making money, and it made an enormous amount of money. I think it was the, the, the MGM's biggest. I think it was the biggest yeah. highest grossing the highest grossing film yeah. of the year, and MGM's sort of biggest pre selling film. Since Doctor Javago, I think it outsold that. So it became this phenomenal. All everything was forgiven, and you know, and 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 Kubrick's made the king who can do no wrong, and he pretty much makes films exactly the way he wants to for the rest of his life until he dies. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 the extent of which counterculture was responsible for the success of the film even altered the marketing because the original poster was this picture of a spaceship docking in a space station. And then they changed it to the image that we've got behind us of the Star Child, uh, and 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 their and their poster tag was the ultimate trip. Mm -hmm. so that's enough. That's enough about uh, uh, you know blowing smoke up Kubrick's 
um, Darriere. And, uh, and, and while we're talking about that, um, so that first, um, the first screening that happened to yeah. uh, executives and to um, some of the critics, uh, yeah. then Kubrick went away and cut 20 minutes of it. Ah, right. Yes, of course. Yeah. So, so I, I think there was just extended sequences yeah, in the yeah, yeah. man, extended sequences in there. Yeah. And so he chopped the, the thing. And I think Pauline Kale, who originally hated it, then came back later on some of them re-reviewed it and then, you know, uh, gave it positive review. Yeah. So, so, so that, that, that's the film. The, in terms of the film, the film's like gone on to become regarded as, I think it's fair to say, probably the, the, the greatest science fiction film ever committed to celluloid you see it's you see i think you see its influence up to star wars star wars sort of changes the way people perceive science fiction and i would argue kind of dumb science fiction down quite a bit yeah. um so, so even, even like sort of action movies are, are, are kind of rooted in a kind of um, uh, there's a more of a cerebral approach to an action movie even something like logan's run is conceptually you know quite you know and then you see direct influences because one of the great um sort of uh, special effects artist that that was involved douglas trumbull goes on to sort of make um silent he did he made silent running is that correct that he made silent yeah. running didn't yeah he? yeah which you know you can see kubrick's influence and then there's a more flagrant sort of introduction of kind of counterculture ethos um stanley well no no ridley scott flagrantly admits the influence in fact in fact you know he takes he takes 2001 and, and he takes all the pristine aesthetics and sort of just junks you know rubbishes them up doesn't he to say you know what, what happens if we had this approach to space travel but it was all kind of shot worn and falling apart and then he combines that and, you know he said he said he wanted he wanted to combine 2001 with the texas chainsaw massacre and he, he produces nice. alien uh, and, then, and then you have people reacting against it which launches careers because dan o'bannon uh the screenwriter of alien or one of them and john carpenter combined forces to make dark star which is a bit of a sort of two-finger salute to 2001 and, it, and it's and it's, it's quite yeah and it, it's, it's kind of an argument against it in a way and and and, and the perceived pretensions of 2001 which we'll talk about in a minute um so i think i think that's i think we i think we've established oh yeah and and and, and its influence is still felt today i think even people who don't know anything about 2001 would see its influence because obviously the moment you hear also zarathusa the first thing you think about is 2001 uh the moment you see anybody throwing a bone in the air and it going in slow motion, it's 2001. And the yeah. last the last place, and I only thought about this yesterday, the last place I saw a direct reference to 2001 is in the new Margot Robbie um, Barbie movie, where they, okay. they just essentially, I, I don't know if you've seen the first trailer, they, 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 they basically mock the Dawn of Man sequence in terms of the emergence of Barbie. So, so that, that's, it's being referenced now, it's something as, yeah, as, yeah. as sort of, you know, as something as sort of conceptually far removed from, Kubrick and as <laughs> you know as you know so you've got Greta Gerwig in a Barbie movie referencing 2001 so it's, it's reaches far and wide it absolutely deserves its place in the canon as an iconic I would even dare say technically brilliant piece of cinema you know conceptually um, unique piece of cinema now this is the punching up movie podcast so we have not come I have not come here some <laughs> To, to praise Kubrick, but to, but just, I don't know, just to try and punch him in the face, you know, sort of, um, yeah, sort of theoretically, um, figuratively speaking. And so let me, can I just, can I just explain my, my relationship with 2001? Largely positive until 2019. So I, I saw grown up, always aware of 2000. I can't remember a time when I wasn't aware of it. I think, I, I, I think I first saw it on television, but even before then I had this, uh, 
this book I'd got as a child for my for Christmas or my birthday called Future Tense by John Brosnan, who who who, who was the editor of Starburst magazine, which I was I was quite taken with. And, and, and it was a sort of pre-Star Wars sort of just overview of science fiction, I think, in the 60s and 70s. And it just had all these images of films I just wanted to see. And that was the first time I saw all of the spaceships in 2001. I remember my, my uncle lived in London. I remember even going to, because I think it had quite a long afterlife in the cinema. So, so it was showing in cinemas, like, sort of years and years after its release. And I even remember it being screened. I remember going past cinemas that showed 2001. And I was always taken by lobby cards and, you know, especially something like this, the Stargate. I think, what is this movie? And it just works with my imagination. And I, I, I saw it on television. I think I must have seen it on television numerous times and enjoyed it. And then in 2019, um, they did a 4K restoration of it. And um, at... Uh, I, I, I'm from Nottingham. I live in Nottingham. There's a beautiful like uh, local cinema, art cinema there, the Broadway. They showed it in their biggest you know, screen. I went to see this 4K resur resurrection, this 4K restoration. <laughs> Sat there. And I have to say, during the dawn of man sequence and the first, the first time you hear with a decent sound system, also Sprat, Zarathusa, I, I was genuinely, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being hyperbolic, I was genuinely in a state of awe. And, mm. I, I, and I was thinking it's very rare you see films that, that that accurately replicate a sense of religious awe, and Kubrick did it. And then and then you've got the sequence where the the ape like sort of you know is 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 is, is sort of evolution is altered. He learns how to use tools. He throws his bone in the air, and and then it, and then it sort of it, and then it sort of it sort of it sort of you know you jump for millions of years, and and the bone almost becomes a spaceship. Oh, it's awe, absolute awe, heading to heading out of Earth towards this space station, and then and then and then and then the ship carries on traveling through space, and then it carries on traveling through space. And it, 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 I think it was taking quite a while to get to this space station, and my awe slowly starts to diminish and starts to be replaced with. I couldn't quite put a finger. I wouldn't. I, wouldn't, I didn't even really want to admit what that feeling was. I thought this might be boredom. You know, and, and then and then they get into the space station. And there's a lot of lot of chat, a lot of board, board, you know, Leonard Rossiter from Rising Damp turns up, sort of livens the thing up a little bit as a Russian scientist. And then and then they they sort of transition to the moon and then Jupiter. And then and then and then again, it's just it's just there's there's, there's this phenomenal um sort of set piece in the middle, or, or as I remembered it, where they they, you know, the computer turns rogue and starts killing off members of the crew and and whatnot and but everything was so slow and, and and then once once we get to the bit where they they get to the stargate sequence and and you can use this as evidence against me i was probably tired when i went into the cinema because sometimes I just, i'll go in after a day's work and it's a long film you know and the stargate sequence is incredibly long i think it's about like 15 minutes isn't it 15 minutes of life 15, and, 20 minutes even yeah, yeah 20 minutes yeah Amazing. i fell asleep in the stargate sequence and woke up and it was still going on Mm. And then, and then, and then we we came out of the movie, and it and it was an utter utter revelation to me. <laughs> I was actually bored during two thousand and one, and 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 I think it's a cardinal fault in the movie, which we can kick about and discuss, and it sort of tainted the movie for me. Um, you know, from that from that point on, and and, and there is a review because I, I held I held back quoting the reviews because there is a view because I wasn't the only person that felt this. Um, and there's and there's, uh, there's there's a quote from the Times. Uh, I'm not sure if it's New York Times, but it says some, the, the film exists somewhere between hypnotic 
and immensely boring. Boring, yeah, I heard that. Hypnotic and immensely boring, and and that was my relationship with the film. Now, I admit, I admit, you know, my 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 um my take on two thousand one: A Space Odyssey is is a, it's an immaculate, visionary, brilliant, boring masterpiece. But it's the boring bit that is the uh, is it to me that's 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 the kind of unassailable hurdle in my enjoyment of the film you know kind of, kind of quote Tennessee Williams now I get really pretentious um, quote Tennessee, Williams. Tennessee Williams once said um the first duty of any artist is not to bore his audience that's the first thing and um and, and Kubrick does that and so everything else everything else is is tainted by that but in that movie so we could talk about other Kubrick films yeah 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 yeah, yeah. but but in, in this movie I think it's brilliant I think it's an astonishing, brilliant, utterly boring movie. And there yeah. we go. Yeah. I think I think that's I think it's possibly like the time that you watched it, the place. Time and place yeah. is such a key element. It, and a it film is. like this is like um it sort of requires a different set of viewing parameters, I think. And I think that yeah, you can't, it's like I said at the start, you can't watch it every day. You can, I mean. I suppose you could, but um, you have to be in a certain place. And yeah. sometimes you're just not. I mean, I've watched it before and sort of nodded a little bit in the past, yeah. um, but that's not really because I've been bored. I think that's more because I've been hypnotized by it or yeah. being in a place where I've been a little bit tired. But yeah. my experience with 2001, I think I saw it in its entirety first when I just left drama school in yeah. North Finchley, 1993, and I watched it on a 14-inch portable television. Yeah. Um, with head, no, with speakers. Um, yeah. Had the speakers, so the sound was bigger than the screen. But yeah. that that time was like such an amazing thing that I could get this yeah. sound that was so big. You know, we didn't have those big TVs, and so the music and the sound design tainted. Um, my enjoyment or my um, yeah. experience of the film. And I think I was just so blown away because at that time, um, in my early 20s, I was interested in that, all that, all the psychedelics, yeah. I was interested yeah. in that whole world. And so yeah. it seemed to represent, and even watching it now, I'm watching that Stargate sequence and going, it's incredible that Kubrick didn't take acid or DMT or yeah. do anything like that because there are moments in that sequence that are, from experience, the same as doing. Yeah, that. no, no, but, but, that, but that's the thing because I, I don't, I don't need to. You know, we're all past statutes of limitations here, aren't we? And so, of course, I don't, I don't need to implicate yourself in anything. Oh no, mate. But, but, yeah, 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 no, I know, I know. I, I thought, but, but, but you, you, you have taken hallucinogenics, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And do you think that makes a difference? Because I, I, I haven't. And do you think um, it makes a difference if, 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 in your relationship with the film, if, if, if you have that? sort of experience to sort of line it up with or you know sort of you it's subjective isn't it really I think for me personally and for um another friend of mine who he was yeah. really into the film he was the one who told me to watch it you know he'd seen it a few yeah. times and I think it it enhances it especially yeah. in your 20s now I don't know now I think that you don't have to um we're in our fifties now. It's a different time, yeah. and and we've lived a, a lot a lot longer than yeah. You know that sort of 
youthful exuberance that you have when you're 20. Yeah. I think at the time definitely it had some, um, it benefited me. Yeah, so I mean, I, have, you, I, have you watched it? Have you watched it? Have you watched it while you were tripping? Have you watched no, it? On, no, on no, no, no. Yeah. I've not yeah, watched yeah, any yeah. films while I was tripping. Yeah. I just, I, yeah. people do that yeah. and I just don't understand it at all. I've watched yeah. it stunned many times. Yeah. Yeah, so which, was, which was the majority. I wouldn't say the majority. I mean, because you, you can't you can't build an entire box office like that on everyone no. being stoned, you know. Uh, but, no. but but effect, effectively, you know, yeah. So so I mean, a lot of people would have watched it stoned. I would say more people. I don't know. I've got no evidence for this. More people I would imagine would have watched it stoned than than sort of having dropped acid or something before I, seeing it. I mean, I would say yeah. so. But then in the sixties, yeah. you know, it was a different time. People were doing yeah. things differently. So. I, my 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 response to that is I, I've watched um, I've watched many many films that would have been considered ostensibly boring, which you, you alluded to. Um, there's a film I, I, I was once quite obsessed with called La Belle Moisseuse with Emmanuel yeah, Bayard, which is literally Bayard, yeah. a, a four four hour movie about yeah. a man painting a woman. Painting, yeah, yeah, and it's literally a film about watching paint dry on many levels. If you want to be yeah. sort of about it, yeah, but it but it's mesmeric. It's absolutely it, yeah. mesmeric, and there's this kind of, and I'll tell, I tell you, I tell you why it's mesmeric because it, it, it and, and and this is a decision on, on on Kubrick's part not to do this. It's mesmeric because it, it's like a battle of wills between two humans, an artist and his model, and he's trying to sort of break her down in the way that drama dra is at the drama studio might break you down as an actor mm. or something, who like in a corner in the audition or something like that, or things I've heard yeah. do, and. Um, you know, it's about him trying to. Be, so there's the human element in there, which is which is deliberately extracted from mm. 2001. So he, he's, he's obviously made a decision to render his humans as I'm, I'm going to use the word bland and as adenine as possible, in order to contrast them with the most compelling character in it, which I admit is his. I would say he's the, he's the greatest computer yeah. ever. You know, he's, he's he's brilliant, and and, and I, I I I think I think this should be. I think it should be Oscars for voice acting. I, I was thinking, um, and was it Douglas Rain who plays Hal? I don't think he's known for anything else, is he? I'm not sure. I'm not looked at his IMDb no. page, but here's, here's that. You know, I think I think there's certain voices that just make things like the person who does the voice for the uh, ghost face in all the screen movies. It's that that voice is such an important integral part of the, the horror of that movie, and and Hal's voice is incredible, and and it is this kind of slightly effete monotone voice isn't it and and um and the one bit the one bit i think where the slowness really works in the film's favor is where their dave the astronaut is dismantling eventually killing how how he's mm -hmm. erasing his memory banks and and the slowness yeah, yeah. Of, of, hear, of hearing him yeah being stripped back did you say murder yeah self-defense it's murder in self-defense then there you go no, he's, he's, he's trying to kill them he's, he's, he's defending yeah. them and he was just, he was, he was, uh, and he's, he's just removing all of, all of Hal's memory backs, eventually erasing his personality. And you have Hal kind of reduced to famously, you know, singing Daisy Daisy. And, and then, and then you hear, you know, you know, you, you hear a human voice, you know, just kind of instigating Hal. And, you know, like this is a test recording. And, 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 and so it's an interesting choice because the apes have more personality. I'm not saying this facetiously. The apes have more personality than humans. Leonard Rossiter is the only human. And I find it fascinating. I love seeing sitcom characters, not sitcom characters, actors that are famous. I'm assuming, I'm, I'm talking as if everybody knows who Leonard Rossiter is because this might be listened yeah. to. We don't know where this is going to be listened to. If you don't know who Leonard Rossiter is in England, he's a... Uh, Google him. Yeah, inc yeah, incredibly famous for two sitcoms, like Rising Down. Um, 
the rise of the Reginald Perry. But prior to that, he was character actor. Joe Orton used him a lot of his plays, and and he's in two, he's in a couple of Kubrick movies, isn't he? He's in this and he's in uh, Barry Lyndon, and he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant in Barry Lyndon. And this he has a five well, I say five ten minute role. When you say mm. five minutes, you've got to make an adjustment. So it's five minutes in any normal movie. It's going to be ten minutes in in, in, in two thousand and one. Yeah, and and he's the only person with any sort of like deliberate charisma in it. And so as Kubrick's made this made this decision to kind of strip back the humanities, whereas in 2001, the humans almost have no humanity and the machine does and the apes do. Um, and in Le Balnasus, well, I've mispronounced it, but, you know, the, 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 the film about painting, um, you've got a struggle of wills between these two very, very charismatic sort of French French movie stars, you know, things like mm. that. Now, now, I didn't. I didn't watch La Belle Moisseuse all the way. I watched it. I watched. I actually didn't watch it on VHS. I was. I watched it in chunks, which you can yeah. use against me. But I yeah. did. What I did. What I did. What I did watch two thousand one from beginning to end, which I think you have to do. I think you, you can chunk it. It's it's it's, it's in chapters or or movements because it's it's very yeah. much it's very symphonic, isn't it? Mm. And um, but I, I think I think you know for the sake of this podcast, if you're gonna if you're gonna have integrity and slagging something off, you got you got to try and see it the way it was intended. So you can't see it in the cinema. Watch it all yeah. the way through without yeah. the breaks. You know, oh, you, you got to get to the point. You can't help it. Yeah, in 2000. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, uh, go, go in your trousers if you have to, just to maintain <laughs> the integrity. Yeah. And 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 um, and so so I don't know. And I I saw it. I saw it in the best screen I could have seen it on. And I went in with with such high expectations. And I I was really really looking forward to it. And, and for twenty minutes it had me. And then it just lost me in increments because of 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 its. Um, Almost, I would say, studiously deliberate boringness, and I think, I think, I think it's deliberate. Even though he edited it, I think, I think he's, I think there's something perverse or conceptual that I don't understand that Kubrick is doing. That is, is, is I'm, I'm going to make a boring movie, and you're going to watch it, and you're going to be compelled by it, but it's still going to be boring. So, so, so these two yeah. things, like, kind of like bumping up against each other. I don't know. I think that I think that yeah. he was making an incredibly artistic film that he wasn't pandering mm. to so obviously when you said i'm gonna make a boy movie you know like yeah. nobody wants to make a boy movie right um yeah. but i think that he makes a film that mm. is his own artistic film that if you're into it you're into it and if you're not fuck it like yeah i think unapologetic i think is the word um uh watching it again this time uh mesmeric uh, that how you described la belle noiseuse um yeah it's is is how I found watching it this time. Yeah. You'd said in a previous conversation that we had that like, was it this film that like every every still is like a, um, yeah. a piece of art? Yeah, you know? it is. Yeah, um, and 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 it, it it does feel like that, and the movement of that, and the the music. You see, I think that, in fact, you know, you were saying like the the apes and the um, and Hal were the most sort of per, had the most personality, or were the most human. Yeah. Yeah, the whole characters. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. The music is another. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I agree with that. I think, yeah. I think there's another character, especially um, the Blue Danube. Uh, yeah. The Blue Danube is the only piece of music. It's the only part of the film that is light. There's nothing else in the film. That's there's no there's no jokes. There's no, no. Um, falls, There's no banter at yeah. all. Yeah. And, and even the rest of the music is is terrifying. Like the yeah. the Ricard Strauss Zarathustra is yeah. terrifying. All the Georgie Ligeti um, uh, uh, um, avant-garde music, which is sort mm. of like background 
you know, it seemed he used lots of it, but it feels like background music is yeah. terrifying, mate. You know, yeah. it's like these uh, these sort of angelic, like twisted angelic discordant sounds. Yeah. That, um, and the Blue Danube is the only, and it, it crops up again. So then, obviously, when yeah. when when the the first weapon, yeah, goes up in the yeah. air yeah. and then changes into a, a it's it, it's a it's an armed satellite. Yeah. What it into yeah. so it's a weapon to a weapon all um, right yeah it doesn't um it's, that's not explicit at all and actually no. in the book with this scene behind us um yeah in the there's uh, 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 people on earth uh, uh, nuclear bombing each other and the star yeah. child comes down and just destroys all the nuclear bombs you see i'm, I'm glad they didn't put that in so i'm glad yeah, i'm glad they didn't put that yeah i'm glad they didn't put that in. i'm glad it wasn't explicit because i think what makes this film interesting is that there's no crisis on earth it's it's it's, yeah. it's a kind of it's an antiseptic utopia basically yeah um and so so you know because because you, ha you have that in other side i mean if you, i was thinking when i was watching it of like say is it sunshine the danny boyle film yeah you know, and, and they're, you know, that's quite 2001-esque in many respects, you know. It, but they're, so. they're escaping a catastrophe in pretty much everything this influences, you know, like like directly, some kind of dystopia that you're escaping. And I like the fact that there isn't, you know, that there isn't, that, that all of that's like, that, that this is humanity, probably it's a technological apex. Everyone seems boringly happy in what they do or, or content. And then, and then, and then this event happens, you know, and we we don't know to what end. So, so I think I think if the Star Child was coming here to do a specific job, it wouldn't be as powerful. And I, I, I like, I really like the ambiguity of the film. I like the ending. I love, absolutely love the way Kubrick uses classical music, and I think he's peerless in that. And and, and that will go on, you know, to, you know, kind of pretty much everything else he he does. If it's not classical music, it's you know the way he uses music is is just so unique and counterintuitive and and brilliant, and you know the obvious example being the way Beethoven's used and sort of synthesised in Clockwork Orange is is, is astonishing. The music, I, and uh, I can't remember what it is. The music that opens the, uh, the da, 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 you know the music that opens the shine. Mm. Mm. Um, but it's it's just boring, and in, in the way that other Kubrick films are, um, it's just I find it boring in a way that I don't find The Shining boring, or I don't find, or most of The Shining boring. You know, I don't find. The first half of Clockwork Orange compels me. The second half kind of tests my patience a little bit, and mm. and yeah, and and so, I mean, I mean, what what's what's your, I mean, what, what's your take on everything post two thousand one? Do you do you like? I mean, do, do I mean do, do you like um, do you like Kubrick? I know I know you love Kubrick because you we both didn't we, we both independent mm. of each other. You, you got me into mm. it. We both went to the Kubrick exhibition. Was it at the Museum of Design in London? Just yeah. before lockdown. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was phenomenal. Oh, that, that was interesting because they had they had the two thousand. This this will annoy you. They had the two thousand one exhibit right in that because because the the, 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 the um, it was amazing. It was one of the best exhibitions I've ever been to. Um, and and they do it film by film, don't they? Mm. And uh, 2001, you have this huge 2001, you, have the, 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 you know, and, and what they do is they have a bit where they just show clips of the film. So I thought, well, am I going to be less bored if I just see this in little 20 minute chunks? You know, that's just what, and yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah. The, I, watch, I might have watched the loot. I might be, this was a long time ago, so I might, I might, my memory might be playing tricks on me. And I'm thinking, nah, I'm still bored. Still bored. <laughs> you know, you've, you've got time, you've got 20 minute chunk. <laughs> I'm still bored. <laughs> you were reduced to 20 they minutes. They had it on the big screen, didn't they? They, they Yeah, they um, did. You know, yeah, so, yeah. so it was just like you sit there and you think, nah, nah, I'm still bored. It's like what you're into, right? Or like yeah. what sort of piques your interest. Um, yeah. 
me. But you, you know the sorts of things that pique my interest. So, of so course, go on, go on, go on. and it's not that you're one level by have, any have means. At me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There are lots of things. The, the Meg Two <laughs> comes to mind, um, or the Meg, um, <laughs> which I haven't seen. Uh, but but, but, but I think that for me, it's. I just love the the majesty of it all, the yeah, beauty yeah. of it all. It's yeah. like um, a moving museum. What what does he do? He uses uh, tableau vivant in um, in Barry Lyndon, sort of like moving yeah. stills, you know. Yeah. So they're just there for a long time. I find yeah. that fascinating. Like mm. there was something that we saw recently. I don't know if it was the souvenir or something that had that in it that I. I enjoyed like it can test your patience and it can be yeah. sometimes a little bit pretentious. Um, but I don't know with Kubrick, it's interesting because people like Christopher Nolan, I don't like Christopher Nolan's films yeah. really. We've talked about this before. And, and you realize you just, you've condemned yourself for doing a Christopher Nolan film. On of course, process. we'll have yeah, to yeah, do, yeah. Um, uh, what's that, uh, Inception, which I hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think hate, but for the sake of punching up, I hated it. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, uh, so we can do that, and I'll probably, you know, who knows, I might like it next time. But Christopher Nolan is similar to Kubrick in the sense that quite a lot of his films are without personality is not the right word, but without there's a there's a humanity missing, there's a coldness to it. Yeah, um, and 2001 is a, a the, the the extreme example of that. But all his but, films are, like that, I think. No, but I, I I think that's but I think I think that's a little. I I don't completely agree with that because I don't think his film I think there is a sort of detachment to it but I don't, I don't think I, I think I think in in, in in I don't think there's a coldness to um, Clockwork Orange because it's built around Ma Ma Malcolm McDowell's performance and um, wow. The Shining's built around Jack Nicholson so it's built around these, these kind of absolutely blazing um, movie star sort of character actors um, the first half of um, Full Metal Jacket is, is utterly built around Arlie Ermey's Drill sergeant, and um, so they built around these very, very sort of striking, charismatic characters. And so, so what what sort of ele elevates them in terms of your engagement are these performances, you know? So, I mean, Bar Barry Lyndon's interesting because Ryan O'Neill is arguably slightly miscast um, and is a little bit bland, but he but he surrounds him with these incredible character actors, all yeah. sort of, you know, like you know, like you know, sort of passionate, yeah, and and um, Hardy Kruger as well, you know, like. Mm. Mr. Wild Geese and the one that got away, mm. you know. And I, 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 when I watched Barry Lyndon, I didn't realise he was in it, and he's phenomenal, you know. And um, even Eyes Wide Shut, which I, I actually like, I quite other than the few people in the, you know, like I quite like Eyes Wide Shut. Um, yeah, Tom Cruise, you know, whatever you think about him, he's he has charisma, you know. He, he you know, and, and Nicole Kidman, two of the probably like greatest movie stars um, of the last sort of 30, 40 years, and then you know, lots of really interesting character actors, you know. And, and fired character actors like Harvey Keitel, you know, wasn't in it, but Sidney Pollack's mm. kind of very, you know, so, so there's that there's that human element, which I think it's, in, it's interesting because it's, it's now a good time to admit the 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 the, the, reveal, the kind of the kind of reveal that in the in the, yeah, one of the conditions of one of the conditions of 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 nominating a film is that you've got to watch it again and then say what you thought. Um so I watched it in my in my in, in the living room in the house where I live and uh, uh on a Sunday afternoon when everyone else was out of the house from beginning to end without a pee break. I, I might've gone to the toilet in the actual, it has an actual intermission. Yeah. Intermission. That's, I did as well. I, yeah. 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 So I think that's legit to go for a pee break then. And I didn't find it quite as boring as, as the first, as the last time I saw it. So, so I'm not sure. That's yeah. I'm I, I found it. I, it was interesting. I found it. I did find it. I did find it boring, but I found it sort of, 
compellingly boring. Am I, am I just quite, am I just quoting? Yeah. No, I'm not quoting. That's my compellingly boring in, in a sense that I'm kind of glad it was made the way it was. And I don't know why. I was thinking, well, it, you know, if I, if I, you know, if I was allowed, if I was allowed into the editing room and I had the skill to do it just to sort of fix it, mm. would I? And I don't think I would because mm. I don't know why. I think it should exist the way it is because it's unique, even in the sort of challenging boringness of it which seems to have purpose and is oddly compelling so I, I saw I sort of I sort of leaned a little more towards it it's 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 it wouldn't be I don't know I I, I, would, I would probably watch this you know if I had to watch one Kubrick film like it'd probably be The Shining you know um um or 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 or, or The Killing or Spartacus you know you know but but um I don't know. I, I just sort of lent a little bit more towards it. Don't quite as hate it as I, I didn't really hate it, but I don't, don't quite as hate it or, or, or feel the need to sort of defecate on it or, or, yeah. or punch up at it as much yeah, as I yeah. did do. But it, it, it is still, and, and I'm, I, if you can have a neutral way of saying boring without it being loaded, yeah. it still is boring, but its boringness is almost a point of pride that makes you kind of like it in spite of yourself. Yeah, it's, any, any you know what, it challenges you in a way yeah. that most films don't. And yeah. for that, you know, it, you've said before, it is the yeah. greatest science fiction film ever made. Like, I think it's... No, no I, said it, I, said, I said people say it's the greatest science fiction film. Yeah. I think, I think on many levels, it probably is the greatest science fiction film, but I, I would maybe... I don't, I don't Regardless know, of whether I, you I, enjoyed it or not, more... Yeah, yeah. I think, I think enjoy, enjoyment has to be a factor in watching a movie. Yeah. It can't be, it can't be, it can't be yeah. some sort of, um, you know, art, art can't be... Art, art can't be a torture chamber, can it? I don't think. No, but again, yeah. it's not a torture chamber for everybody, is it? You know, like no. for me, I enjoy watching it. It's not a, yeah. it's not a, yeah. um, there's no part of it that's, um, that's painful or yeah. I come on, speed this up. I'm, I'm yeah. in it. Like th yeah. there's a reason why, it's, you know, how, how many films do you make? Nine films or something yeah. altogether? Yeah. Um, uh, there's a reason why that film exists in the way that it does. Yeah. And I think, as you said, if it was edited, it would detract from it. I think you have yeah. to be challenged by a film like this. Yeah. Everybody can go and see Star Wars and they can go and see all the yeah. rest of the science fiction yeah. that are out there that's really easy to digest and, you know, yeah. takes you along on a, or the, the latest Guardians or one of those yeah. Marvel films, you know. <clears throat> uh, they're not challenging. Um, but but, but, but that's, not, that's not what you'd stack up against. It's you'd stack up... Uh, and and I, I, wish, I wish I'd have the sort of patience and the time to watch, say, like... Because I think, I think the, the science fiction films that... That are the most comparable are like Tarkovsky ones, you know, Stalker I, and Solaris. I have to see Solaris. I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, which, which, there. which, which, um, which could be boring, you know. Which I mean, you know, they, sure. they, 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 they kind of, they kind of, um, you know. But, but I mean, I saw, I saw Stalker so long ago. I barely. I mean, I, I, I read, I read, I read, I read Zona the book. I think the, the book on Stalker, but I. I could barely remember the film from reading. When you the say book, the book you know, on Stalker, is that? Oh the, no, it's a book. It's a book. I can't remember who. I can't remember who wrote it. It was. It was. It's, it's a film critic. He wrote a book on on the making of Stalker and what Stalker okay, means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just called Zona, and uh, it's a really good book. But and it made me want to watch the film again, but obviously not enough to actually watch it because I didn't. But uh, but there, you know. So 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 in in, in a sense, sort of comparing it to Star Wars is a little bit disingenuous, or unfair. I think comparing it to something like you know, I mean, you have got direct links with Douglas Trumbull. Comparing it to Blade Runner, which is a very philosophical. Um, ideas driven science fiction film but also has 
Yeah, that also that also plays with the idea of of of, of a uh, a sort of a, a sort of replicated life form that exhibits more humanity than the actual humans, but also throws in a, a few fights <laughs> and um, and Daryl Hannah like yeah. enhanced and you know stuff like that you know just it just it just it's kind of you know or, or alien even aliens a good a good sort of comparison because Ridley Scott invites it he invites the comparison it's like you know you, you take 2001 you add a bit of dirt you throw in a monster you know and this is what you've got and and yeah. things like that but I, but I I guess I guess I guess sort of compare it compare you know be interested to go and watch Stalker or watch watch uh, Solaris and see if, see if I find them compelling because I think there's like this, you have to be in the right frame of mind for it, and I don't think that we can always yeah. put ourselves in this. No, right no, but frame. I was, I was in the right frame of mind. That, that's that's the thing. When I went to see it at the cinema, yeah, you wanted to see it. Yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. to see it, and I was excited. And for twenty minutes or twenty-five minutes, um, well, twenty minutes Kubrick time, probably forty minutes. I was really, yeah. really, really um, engaged, and and and, yeah. and it induced a sense of it genuinely induced a sense of, of of awe you know and then and then and that, that was that was what i think that was why i took against it because i felt like that awe was subsequently betrayed by the next two hours of 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 state not stasis i'm just going to say stasis yeah of of uh, narrative stasis and then and then and then sort of a massive light show that I nodded off in the middle of, you know, and things like that. But, but I, I take, I take, I take, I take a percentage of that back on second viewing. And I even, I tell you, I even enjoyed the light. The light show was, I thought, I can't believe how long this was, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the light, the, light, the Stargate sequence. I, I actually enjoyed that second time round, well, second time round, second time round since I, I saw it in 2019. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, um, there's so much to talk about with 2001 as well like mm. uh, doing the research that I did yeah. over the last few weeks um the documentaries that I saw the articles that I read the, yeah. I've got the Stanley Kubrick archives which um yeah. uh, you like little sections on each film and yeah. um uh, reading about Douglas Trumbull's like slit screen um way that he filmed the uh, Oh yeah yeah I heard about that I didn't really understand what that was but I yeah, same, I, I, man, I don't yeah, really yeah, understand yeah. it I kind of yeah. want to see a, I want to see a YouTube video to sh show me what yeah. it is um, but the the drops of, of oil or whatever that were going in the water yeah. that Kubrick yeah. had filmed like way before they started filming, you know, just to see what it looked like. That's in, it's incredible. I mean, yeah. the attention to detail yeah. is 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 unsurpassed. I no, no, I, I agree. And he's a de you know he's the detail man par excellence, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, that, I mean everyone everyone who works with him. You know, he's alive and has told stories about it and talked about yeah. his attention to detail. Pretty much broke everybody. I think there's an interesting phenomenon that, that no one works with. Loads of people work with him twice, but no one works with him three times. I was thinking about all the actors that work with him and yeah. write it. You know, so you got, you know, you've got Kirk Douglas who works with him twice. Timothy Carey, the character actor, works with him twice. Leonard Rossiter works with him twice. I don't think any movie star, apart from Kirk Douglas, and he was calling the shots. He was like, he was kind of hiring Kubrick. So it's like different. Has worked with him more than once, you know. So, so it's sort of fascinating that, that they, yeah. And they all, they all kind of, but it, but, it, but it's all among some of the most seminal stuff they've ever done, you know. So that, that's the deal with the Kubrick devil that you do, isn't it? He's he's going to yeah. break your, he's going to he's going to he's going to he's going to test your mental health and push you to the limits and yeah, make, make you almost really, want to not work again. Yeah, history. yeah. Yeah, and he didn't. He didn't. He didn't break. You didn't get the sense that he broke um, Tom Cruise. But then Tom Cruise is kind of in in his own weird way cut from similar cloth. He is like a meticulous 
detail man, isn't he? Have you? Because mm. I know, I know you, you, you have, you have many, 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 many friends in the industry. Do you know anyone who's worked with Kubrick? Uh, no, but I did meet somebody recently who was who had been to Kubrick's house. This was, I think, after he died, or was it before he died? Because they were filming a short film there, and yeah. they were he was sworn to secrecy. But no, who, oh no, I'm trying to think. You can't no. say so. You can't say you, you, also, you can't say what you saw in Kubrick's house. That's very. He found he found his diary. He found Kubrick's diary. Yeah, half inch. My own movie. Really boring. <laughs> 2001, Adam Nightingale is right. 2001 was so boring. <laughs> I made sure that I did it to torture people. Went, went um, through the Stargate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, again, going back to that, I think like the meditative quality yeah. of it, the philosophical quality of it, the ideas of it, those are the things that really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are the but things yeah, that no, I No, I mean, I, I, no, I, I, I get that. And I wish, I wish we had more... You know, yeah, I, I wish we had more boring science fiction films with, with with better ideas than what we get at the moment you know so so yeah i mean i i would i would i would accept i would accept a dollar for boring you know against you know against you know a, a kind of another transformers movie you know or, yeah. or which i suppose is technically science fiction did you know do you know my brother nearly worked for stanley hubrick have i told, have I told you this no you tell me more tell me i will tell the viewers or the listeners or how, however they're receiving this my my bro my brother is is a former professional dancer, and weirdly enough, he was in Panto. Um, I went to see that Panto, uh, and he, he, he and he was he was in the chorus of of uh, a Panto in York, but the choreographer, uh, I'm not sure if I say the choreographer, choreographer was uh, I mean, the choreographer was Pat Garrett, you know, so he's named after the, the sort of famous. I'm not sure if she's actually a parent's actually named after the 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 the, the person who shot <laughs> Billy the Kid, but she's called Pat Garrett anyway. Your favorite Peckinpah film. My favorite Peckinpah film, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she she was working on Eyes Wide Shut in some capacity in the famous mass ballroom sequence, and she either offered my brother a role or an audition for a role, and um, and he was at the time he was doing a theatre and education tour. And he did not want to break contract, so he he was very honourable, genuinely honourable person. And and to and to take the role would have been to leave this company in a lurch. And so he said no. And 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 so if this was a movie, you know, someone would hear about that and offer him offer him. You know that bit in Honey, uh, the um, the, the I can't remember the, the Jessica Alba movie. Yeah, I've not seen the dance movie. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? The no, Jessica no. Alba dance movie, and you've got a bit where Missy Elliott comes in as herself and goes, "Get me, honey, Daniels." You know, so I don't know. I've not seen the film. I've not seen all of it. Um, <laughs> but at some point, you know, she's like, kind of whatever she's done. There's been some point of integrity. If, you, if you're honey fans and you're watching this, if, you, if, you, if you're honey fans, you've tuned, tuned in, tuned in for a 2001 podcast. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's highly and I respect your eclectic sort of taste. <laughs> exactly, exactly, you know. And you know, so so I, I can't remember. I, I, can't remember the film. I'm assuming that there's there's something that's kicked her out of the dance community. And Missy Elliott's like seen her at some kind of college dance show, and then comes and he goes, "Get me, honey, Daniels," like that. And and that should have been that should have been how that story ended with my brother. You know, it's like yeah. he's that guy that turned down yeah. Kubrick. The call never came, and, and you know, <laughs> he was never in the Eyes Wide Shut Two or or, 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 or Honey <laughs> Two. So there, that, that's my Kubrick story once removed, well, which we can cut out if it's ridiculous. No, not at all. I think I think I think next it's a good time one. to wrap things up and introduce next episode's movie. So having having.
probably tried and failed to dislodge <laughs> Kubrick's science fiction masterpiece. We're going to have a popper Martin Scorsese next. Having not learned our lessons and a uh, little visual clue there, we're going to be doing New York, New York. No, we're going to be doing Raging Bull, <laughs> his um, 1980 um, masterpiece of sports dysfunction and to toxic masculinity. So we'll be having a having a pop at, at Raging Bull next time. So, so from from Nottingham, England, I'm going to say goodbye. From Sydney, Australia, I'm going to say goodbye. And from the moon, the star child and the moon. Yeah. Oh, goodbye. Bye. See you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. The mission has been completed. Groovy.